You are listening to the Life After Infidelity podcast, a podcast designed to help women who have been cheated on heal from anger, shame, sadness, and confusion so they can heal, reclaim their power, and live the life of their dreams. You will leave each episode with a heart of comfort, knowing you are not alone in your struggle and empowered to make informed decisions about your relationships moving forward. Because whether you choose to leave or stay after infidelity, both decisions will be hard, and I'm here to help you navigate your heart. All righty. Hello, beautiful. Hello, handsome. And welcome back to another episode of Life After Infidelity podcast. I am your host, Brianna Latrice, your favorite affair recovery coach. And I am here to help you navigate life after infidelity, because whether you choose to leave or stay, both decisions will be hard. And I am here to help you navigate your heart. And so you guys, this is part two to um, an amazing uh, conversation that I've been having with uh, Harrison and Hannah. And, you know, the first episode was just really laying down that framework, help you get an understanding and some context. And now we're going to get into good to the good stuff of the restoration and giving you some tips and tricks that you can use if you are experiencing um, infidelity in your marriage, but you're wanting to stay and work things out. And so we are back and Hey, Hannah. Hey, Harrison. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I just kind of want to pick up where we left off. You know, we were talking a lot about you guys sharing your story of how Harrison, you, you know, you went through emotional um, infidelity with uh, the same person over time. Mm Um, But, you know, you might have had a couple of occurrences of emotional infidelity and then it went into physical. But what we were talking about that kind of led up into that is that, you know, life happens to us all. And you guys were definitely having life happen to you. You know, um, you were talking about just um, the birth of your your second child. It was your daughter, right? Your daughter. Yeah, just that, and your daughter having a lot of health issues. And I can only imagine what that's like being in and out of the hospital with mm-hmm. your baby, with your infant. Um, Hannah, you were just coming out of postpartum. And then, you know, Harrison, you shared too about, you know, some of your uh, battles that you were dealing with with pornography. Um, and then um, there, I know I'm missing something here, <laughs> but just really talking about like how all of this life has happened to you guys. And, you know, it kind of just, oh, I know what I, I want to say too. just um, Harrison, you just talking about too, like how you, you kind of maybe felt alone or you would take some of Hannah's um, comments that she said and you kind of felt like, oh, okay, well, she won't care anyway. And you were kind of like playing, you know, this angel versus devil with, within yourself when you were thinking about, you know, the, the acts, even though you knew that they were wrong. And so, that's kind of where I want to pick up. You know, you guys were dealing with a lot. Um, we talked about the emotional piece of it. Just kind of walk us through now, like what what led to you actually, Harrison, going into the physical piece of it? Because I think it's important too. like where Hannah, you shared, like when you were holding him hostage in the car, so to speak, you know, and you were just like, but you trusted him, you know, you yeah. know, and you said you didn't blow up and you just told him this is what's required of you to help me rebuild this trust. You need to end communication with her, you know, and all of this stuff. And now, you know, you trusted him to actually do that. 
but then it transitions into the physical like kind of walk us through what led up to that so going back to uh our daughter being in and out of the hospital um i had a position open with a sheriff's department up in uh, her hometown the other girl and uh so the position came we took it uh but that was going to require me to move up here what was it three or four weeks before you guys came uh, it was here? longer than that uh, I, yeah it was longer than that it's like um, six eight weeks so it, roughly you know one to two months i was up here you know working trying to find a house to buy and stuff like that and um you know i think we thought we were okay in that time in life well um, we had had the communication prior to applying for the job i i flat out asked him because where he was, um, we were in a very small sheriff's department mm-hmm. and they weren't staffed adequately. They didn't always have proper equipment. And we had had several instances back to back where officers had gotten stuck in some really, really tight places, which mm-hmm. caused us to just kind of look at each other and go, if we stay here, you're dead. Like there, I mean, like there's just, it's not safe anymore. And we knew that there were only a couple of places within the state where we could make this transition and be okay financially. And one of the places was currently where, where we are and where the other woman lived. And I knew that. And so I asked him, I said, Hey, look, is that going to be a problem? (laughs) And I was very blunt with him. And I was at this point, we had been rebuilding since then. This is almost a year um, since the emotional affair. And no other issues had come up as far as I knew. Uh-huh. And I just said, look, is this going to be an issue? And I should be honest with me. Okay. And he said, no, it's not going to be a problem at all. That That's closed. I, there's nothing going on there. I'm not. No, it's fine. It's not going to be an issue. And I said, okay, well, then I trust you. At this yeah. point, lying through my teeth, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's very clear is that this was something that I, I wanted to conceal because I did feel like it wasn't ever going to go that place. And so I was just, I was okay with at that point, just hiding what I had and telling her everything would be fine. So the poker face at that point was fine because I believed in what I was doing, Yeah, you know? And, and so I was fully okay with just keeping that part hidden. Um, so anyway, so so you, knew, you knew you weren't going to go any further with her or you knew you were. Sorry. So knew that he thought he had control of the relationship and it was nothing but a friendship. We gotcha. Well, okay. We both did. Yeah. So we both did at that point. Um, you know, she, the other girl, she's like, listen, I'm not a homewrecker. That's not part of what, and even when we were dating years ago, we never had intimacy. We never, like we were just friends. And so that's where we thought the, the relationship was going to maintain fast forwarding. Right. So we, um, move up here get the house done and it's our son's fourth well the whole time for almost what a month prior to you coming up here plus the whole time you were here y'all were seeing each other yeah so the whole time we were here yeah we there was communication yeah so i was at home i was two and a half hours away taking care of both kids by myself packing up the entire apartment, doing everything alone while he was up here. And the whole time he was up here, he was seeing her and I had no clue. Um, So like you said, fast forward, me and the kids finally get up here and it was rocky. I mean, the whole time he was gone, it was like hell. And 
but, that, but that's that me pu- getting pulled back into that conscious state of like I need to expose this. Yeah, because to keep it I had so much understanding, and I just kept telling myself, "Look, I know it's bad right now, but if we can just all get back together again, if we can just all get back in the same house again, it'll be fine." Like this is just really stressful. We've all been in this transition. Like it's okay. Like she was not even on my radar mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so, and so, I'm glad you say that that she wasn't even on your radar at that point. And, you know, one of the reasons why she probably wasn't on your radar is because I've heard you say in your story, just because you were at home. So you were, you know, really at the, in that sense, being both parents at that point because oh, yeah. he wasn't there. And then you were having to take, take care of two children, you know, mm-hmm. and you were just dealing with life. And so your focus, like you even said that of your focus had become your kids. You put your yeah. kids before your husband and I think it's really important to have this conversation, too, because I know that men are like suffering in silence and they don't feel like, you know, they're missing something in their marriage. And I think that's important to mention, too, you know, because Harrison, that's that was one of your things like that you would say was just like you didn't feel needed. And even speak to that, especially for men, when you don't feel needed in your marriage, like how that kind of plays into you you know, going and getting this attention because somebody else is making you feel needed. Like kind of speak to that too. Sure. So there, I'm actually working on something you don't know about this. Yet. Uh, <laughs> Great. So it's an internal, it's an internal um, speaking topic that I'm working on currently. So you guys hear it first. Um, <laughs> I've been putting some stuff together about that exact topic you know Mm -hmm. suffering in silence but i don't want it to come across like all the freaking videos i watch of men are victims of something we're not okay Mm -hmm. we we are victims of something sure but in this case the videos that i watch specifically that kind of hit this or tug on that internal heartstring it's like well we don't talk about things because no one else cares what do you mean no one else cares that you she cares Mm -hmm. right other people care my friends care um, so I, I'm really having to be careful of how I put this together. So thanks for asking this question, but I don't know that I have a completely composed answer yet. I'm still digging very deeply into that. Um, however, uh, yes, I very much in the beginning when I met Hannah, I said, if I died tomorrow in the line of duty, which would be the most noble death of any law enforcement officer, right? That's kind of, we almost dream for that. Uh, it's sick and twisted, but it is. Um, it is what it is, but I knew she could pick up and move on in life. You know, I knew she could pick up and find another man and a a man good enough, a man better than me that could raise my kids and maybe be a better dad than I was. Um, which is hard to say today, but in that time, that's kind of what was going through my head. And so she was doing such a good job running, running my boat right? My ship, my, my helm, she was, she had the range, she had it and she, she was doing it all. She was running the crew. She was driving the boat. She was making sure it was washed and cleaned and kept a sail and up oh, that tour. So we got to fix it. And I just went to work. And so I'd go through these traumatic incidences and come home and realize she's doing such a great job that I'm just not going to add to that. And so. Go ahead. Well, in the meantime, I feel like I'm killing myself. And I'm resenting him because he's not doing anything but going home, but going to work and then coming home and sleeping and playing video games and or going to the gym or, you know, whatever. Like we were not even his priority. Like all he did to contribute to our family was work. And so 
But I also didn't see the flip side of that is that I also didn't trust him to be able to take care of our kids. I didn't trust him to be able to do what I needed him to do to make sure it was accomplished. And so I essentially worked him out of a job. So, yeah, I'm doing all these things, killing myself and I'm pissed at you for it. But I'm also not making you feel needed. Like, I'll, you know, never forget one thing I share often. Um, but before I go there, but as a first responder family, that is something that we have to do. Because when they're on duty, we have to take over. We don't get a choice. Because with first responder work hours, it's not like a nine to five. Mm-hmm. Like, But you also have to pass that back over to him. Because according to the word, he is the head of the household. Mm-hmm. And anytime that is out of balance, your household is not going to function well. Yeah. And Well, and, and balance goes both ways there. Which yeah. We speak a lot to priorities. For sure. Um, okay. So I want to get real quick on priorities. My priority was my job. Okay, mm-hmm. followed probably very closely by uh, physical endurance, appearance, slash Pops. the availability to be able to perform at any moment in my job. You know, yeah. uh, so my literally, you know, in the law enforcement, especially first responders, firemen, very much so that your physical fitness is determinative on your life out there. Yeah. You yeah. Know, even yeah. because they'll tell you, it's like, even if you're shot in the line of duty, if you're in poor cardiovascular shape, you're more likely to die than if you're in great cardiovascular shape and one of your lungs collapse. Mm-hmm. You're able to pull enough oxygen into the opposite lung to be able to live through the encounter. And, and that just, those things stuck with me very, very deeply. So yeah, my priority was my work. And then very secondly, my physical fitness and then all the other hobbies I had, uh, whatever they may be, video games, shooting, whatever. So my priority shifted, her priority shifted, mm-hmm. not out of not loving each other, but out mm-hmm. of like just, coping with life and that Mm. took a so that so that drove me into your question of not really being needed because i wasn't needed in my house she had it Mm -hmm. if i died tomorrow she was going to pick up and move on she was already doing it all but Um, the reality of that was was it that it wasn't true i I needed his help i just couldn't get it and you know i'll never forget we have been in some financial strain and so i had taken a part-time job where i was working like eight hours a week and so One of the days, one of the afternoons that I worked, he would keep both the kids, which was rare. Very rarely did he ever have the kids alone because I just didn't trust him. And my daughter was young. She was six, eight months old, probably. And again, we've been through the whole year of all these health issues in and out. And um, usually I was meticulous when it came to scheduling, when it came to, I mean, any, I am, but not as bad as I was then, because for me, sequence was life. So if I, the more efficient I was, the less, the, I didn't have to work as hard. Yeah. So the night before I would make up the formula canisters. So I had enough canisters to get me through the whole day and I wasn't scooping formula in the middle of the day or at bedtime or whatever. Mm -hmm. That day something had happened and I was out of sorts and I had left the formula canisters empty. And so I went to work and when it was time for her afternoon bottle, he didn't have formula canisters. So he Mm -hmm. didn't know how much to put in the bottle yeah and he called work and he said hey you didn't make formula so number one he immediately accused me so mm-hmm. that triggered me made me defensive mm-hmm. you know put formula in the canisters how do I make her a bottle mm-hmm. and I remember lighting into him and I was like are you kidding me mm-hmm. like you're so distant from your family that you don't even know how to feed your own child like yeah. how could 
pathetic are you? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's probably not exactly what I said, but that's exactly what I meant. That's how it came yeah. across. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I made sure of that. And yeah. I look back on that. I was just so I was so hurt mm-hmm. and I was so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I was so tired of being understanding and not being the priority that that was one of those times where it's like, I just don't care. You're going to get a taste of your own medicine today. Oh, wow. But I now look back on that now that we're in a healthier place and I go, good grief. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that make him feel? Like our child mm-hmm. was eight months old. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know how to feed her. Yeah. Like that's how insignificant I had made him feel in our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in and that's how unneeded I had made him feel in our family. Yeah. Let me say none of that is an excuse for my actions. No, but right. that was in yeah. the defense of again, that was one of those things that had come from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. Because I was taking on so much yeah. at home because I knew how hard his work life was in that moment. Right. He was working 60 hours a week. And yeah. You know, I had taken on everything I could possibly take on to make things easier for him. So when he came home, he could just rest or do what he wanted to or fill his own cup. But over time, as Satan does, he morphs those things into that's not the reason anymore. And this what Mm -hmm. I thought was a good thing has turned into this really negative thing. But now we're too far down the hill and we've committed. So what do we do now kind of situation? You know, yeah, I think it's a great thing to look, reflect on. You reap what you sow, and, and it's such mm. a it is as small as it is. The littlest things yeah. over those seven years of life really just they grew into some really ugly. They they grew into kudzu. If you're anywhere yeah. from the south, you know what kudzu is, and it is a it is a weed that takes over and obliterates everything it touches. It will overgrow anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's one small seed that will literally overrun a city. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what happened is we had just little things, little things, and they ran into this, this horrid beast, right. That came out in the end. And so, but the, I hope that answered your question on the needed part. Yeah. We, so, well, no, I mean, there. look, then it just puts me into something else because it's like, that's the thing. It's really just a, a small buildup of things that then yeah. make a person just do something that they, yeah. no one ever gets into a marriage thinking, Oh, I'm going to cheat on my husband. I'm going to cheat on Never. my wife. You know, but it's like over time. And even I want to ask you guys like this question, like, would you say that you guys maybe lacked communication because it was like, you know, you, you were, you were sharing, um, Hannah, how you, you just didn't trust him, Harrison. And it showed like, you didn't say it, but your action showed it and he could feel that, you know, and that was received. And then Harrison, you even talked about how you, your priorities switched and your priorities were, you know, your job, your health, your fitness and all of that. And it's like, I think that's kind of been one of those, those disconnects that I, as I'm working with, with, with clients Mm -hmm. is like, okay, well, did you communicate that? Because it's like, if you would have communicated, Hey, I don't feel like you trust me, allow me to, you know, have a more active part in the family or, Hey, I don't feel like you're making me a priority in the family, you know, in the kids. So really talk about that too, because would you say that that was kind of like one of those underlying issues too, is just the communication? Yeah. So before we go into communication, because I think that's a whole nother block that we really <laughs> should address. I want to go back to just so we can complete the 
the infidelity story and then go into the recovery because the communication is huge in our recovery. Okay, good. Um, so once again, once we got everybody moved up here is what he's fourth birthday party. Yeah, Dave's so fourth birthday. For July fourth, twenty nineteen. <laughs> okay, Independence Day. The day we set our marriage. That's free. our enough anniversary. We're insane. So, so, anniversary. Uh, it's so, one of those days that like we're never gonna forget it. It wasn't a random Tuesday in March. It actually was a Tuesday. Yeah. Well, but, but, so I mean, it's July fourth. So I mean, there we're never gonna forget that day. So we yeah, choose yeah. to celebrate it instead of dread it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we're lunatics and we have an affair anniversary just like we have an anniversary because it's the, I mean, we were liberated. Our marriage was liberated that day from what we had built it into yeah. to what God had constructed it to be for us. And so it truly is something that's worth celebrating to us. And so um, I think that's important to note though, because it's so easy. Like I've worked with a lot of spouses who have these affair stories as well. And it's like, man, like how do we get past that day? How do we get past not just dreading that day every year? It's like mm-hmm. celebrate it. Like you learned yeah. something, didn't you survive something? Exactly. Like celebrate the fact that your marriage has new life. And so, yeah, we create that's so true because um, there's someone else that I follow who she works, she specializes in affairs, and she even says that she's like, if your marriage can um recover from affair, you actually have like she was saying how her clients that actually stay together and work through it, like they kind of are thankful for the affair because it oh, has yeah. made her relationship even stronger. So I totally get why you guys say, like, hey, let's celebrate this. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, even the night, actually the day leading before, um, I had a couple, actually the week, I had a, some couple really hard calls, um, which we talk a little bit about what, what, what I call or what clinicians call micro traumas. And they're little traumas over time that add up to something big. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, sure I could nail down five or six, seven, eight true trauma mm-hmm. incidents. And I'm like, man, that was, that was hard, you know? Um, uh, and, and they, some of those stick with me. Um, but I forget about the micro things, the little things, the little the, the glimpses or the the moments that I'm like, wow, that's a little trauma. So, but I did have a really hard week that the week of work uh, before the affair, and even the night before, um, you know, I didn't even share that with you, and you know, so because I didn't want to bring that trauma back to the family, and I shared it with her, and she's like, hey, why don't you, you know, come over, we'll talk about it, whatever, and I was like, cool. We even said in text, it was like, listen we do, I do not want to ruin this friendship with intimacy. You know, I want to keep it as friendship. And of course, less than 12 hours later, that that's no longer friendship and it's intimate. Well, so, and it's also important to say the kids and I were gone. So we had left earlier um, in oh, the yeah, week that's right. to okay. go see my dad because my dad, we had actually lost my stepmom a few months prior to that. And my dad was having a hard time being alone. And so I knew Harrison had to work that week. Again, I stayed at home. So I said, hey, the kids and I are just going to go ahead and go down a few days early and spend the week with my dad Mm -hmm. so that, you know, he has some company and the kids can see their grandfather and I can get ready for the party and not have to transport everything from here. I'll already have it there. And so the kids and I were gone. So that also allowed for some opportunity there. Well, um, lack, lack of communication is I should have been like, well, I, don't, I needed her looking back. Yeah, now, I needed Hannah yeah. more than her dad needed Hannah at that time. But I couldn't bring myself to say that at those times because I knew how much she needed to go. And she did. She, she really did. Um, 
again, that perfect storm though, it was just right place, right time. Devil worked it all out to where it's like, Hey, here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up sharing that experience with someone else rather than, than my wife. But that, but that is the lack of communication that we had grown into over yeah. the years. Well, and part of that goes back to you is I think some of that is true, but at the same time, at this point, you were already in love with her, I believe. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so well, all you had you to do already in love with her. Yeah. Just over the emotional affair built up over time. And again, it, yeah. was, it was one of those things where I didn't realize that that connection had grown so strong, mm-hmm. but I knew it had my text message prior. like, I don't want to ruin this with intimacy. Yeah. And we both agreed. It was like, yep, yeah, that's not going to happen. We just want to keep it kosher and friendship, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, because so, the reality is all you had to do was pick up the phone and sure. you could have shared that with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you chose not to. You chose to go to her instead. So that's a part yeah. of that emotional connection that I was talking about earlier. It's like making those small choices of, hey, this is a really important thing. Well, let, let me let me make this connection. It's like a sheet of paper, right? So think about an eight and a half by 11 white sheet of paper, printer paper, and you rip a little tiny piece of corner off of it and hand it to somebody else. That eight and a half by 11 was Hannah's. She, she, that's her page. She married that. That's her eight and a half by 11. But I ripped off a corner and gave it to somebody else. Uh-huh. And over seven years of, or I, I don't think it was seven years, but over about the five year period of, you know, connection with this other woman, what did I have left? Half a page? Three quarters of a page? Do I have any of it left? So yeah. at what point through all the communication did I have any, and who had it? She had it. So at yeah. that point, when she says, like, I was in love with, with her, in those moments, I for sure felt that way. And, oh, that was, yeah. and that was a lie. You know, that was a downright straight out of the hell lie. That, But that's because I've given over half of my paper, maybe, to uh-huh. another individual. And now she was holding all these little tiny pieces of paper. Yeah. She can't write on it. She can't put it back together. She can't make it whole. Hannah uh-huh. still had the whole sheet of paper. right? Uh-huh. Even though it was worn and withered down to not much, that she had the only whole thing left. And um, so if I think that now would probably be a great time to go into that communication. And Well, I mean, just, you know, how the whole affair thing played out is by the time he had gotten there with us, he was volatile. I mean, like volcanic, yeah, volatile. For sure. And I want and- to ask about that because I've noticed that a lot of men who do, um, you know, cheat on their partners – they do kind of become like, like yes. a bit aggressive. Like what, what's behind that? What's the why? Anger, behind that? So the portrayal of anger, the, okay. So it's like, Hey, you have water. I need to boil water down and, and I need to know what is water. It's uh-huh. two hydrogens and one oxygen. I can prove it. Okay. Uh-huh. Anger is fear. Yeah. Anger is the front emotion to the underlying stasis of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's all it was, is I was scared that it would get out. I was scared, you know, what I what I had lost. I'd lost half of this sheet of paper. I'd lost half of me, right? Into yeah. this relationship. So I was I had lost something. So there's fear there. Mm-hmm. And so that the volatile side to a lot of these men coming forward and showing bats of anger is fear. That's what it is. Yeah. It's fear. Fear. Is it like a bit of guilt too, would you say? Or? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, and we always say fear is a secondary emotion. I'm okay. Sorry. Anger is a secondary emotion. And mm-hmm. when you're angry, there is something underneath that driving it. 
Yeah. So that's what we talk to a lot of couples is like, you've got to find, you've got to stop yourself and say, Hey, I'm pissed at the moment. And then you've got to take a real reflection and go, Hey, I'm angry because Mm -hmm. I'm hurt because I'm Mm -hmm. scared because I'm exactly it's, you know, so for him, it was his way of controlling the narrative Mm -hmm. because he knew that if he could keep me down, then I wouldn't ask questions. And so it was his form of trying to control me. Um, And it worked for a minute. Yeah. But then not only did when by the time it knocked me down, because he that afternoon, he ripped into me like he had never ripped into me before. Verbally. Um, verbally. Yeah. Like never he, beat her. No, yeah. <laughs> never physical abuse, but right. lot, there was definitely emotional and verbal abuse. Um yeah. and so he had whittled me down to absolutely nothing that night, told me how horrible of a wife I was, how I didn't respect him or care for him at all, how horrible what was that like what happened to build that up? Did you say something or he just yes. kind of just Okay, you said something in it. He had been very edgy the whole time. And again, we were in the car and we were (laughs) stuck. And so I pinned him to the ground. And he. She's physical. He (laughs) verbally. And he. um, Usually I I expect a certain reaction out of him when I do that. And I didn't get that reaction that time. I got something more um and so that alone i had my moment where it ripped me apart um we were two and a half hours away by the time we got back to his parents house which is where the birthday party had been he Uh immediately got in the car and left me and both the kids there by ourselves Mm. to make the trek home alone and i'll never forget my father-in-law i was obviously just in tears the whole time Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law looked at me and he said, Hannah, the only thing I can say is, again, we're from the South, right? The pig who squeals the loudest is the one who needs the most attention. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. And so that as soon as he said that, it I, had, I cleared it and I begged. It I was like, look, I want to stay, but I know I need to go home. So I packed the kids up, got in the car, called one of our best friends on the way. And I just said, look, I'm pretty sure she's back. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so got to the house that night, it was late, got the kids in the bed. And again, I had had two and a half hours to gain my courage. I walked in the door and pinned him to the ground verbally again and said, is she back? And his response is, what are you talking about? I was like, okay, now I know you didn't answer me, but you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he was like, I was like, he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, Harrison, stop being stupid. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is she back? And so that's kind of what kicked the whole thing off. And he came out with small truths at first. At first, we only went this far. And then we only went this far until eventually the whole thing came out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people listen to our story and like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how you responded the way that you responded. I'm like, girlfriend, you got to get me first. A yeah. whole lot of hell came out first. Like, yeah. don't care. And you said that you guys kind of had those hard conversations like in one night. So, oh, yeah, we, we hit the ground running. Um, wow. Yeah. I don't- she, she really had the hard conversations at night. Yeah. I, I, at that point, had back. I tried to leave, except without leaving. You know, I left yeah. emotionally and like in person. I just was yeah. not, not there. But, um, yeah, she really did push those hard conversations. A lot of our recovery, to be honest, was her sticking it out 
and and force not necessarily forcing change but standing ready for the change to happen for me yeah well and one of the big things for me was i had been living this life with him for probably about three years and it felt like it felt like the horror merry-go-round i mean mean this life like just this this disconnect that that had kind of like this build yeah just this turmoil let's be honestly of what it was Mm -hmm. i mean it was the bouts of anger. Oh my gosh. It was like, I was constantly on a roller coaster. We were fine. And then it would just come up out of nowhere and we would be, he'd be explosive again over nothing. And, you know, I told my friend, it's like living with Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hot. I never know what I'm going to wake up to. That was, and you know, I love that you say that because that was something in my marriage that I would always say. I'm not going to lie. I even told my ex-husband, I was like, you're a demon to me. Because it was that thing of like, I didn't know who I was going to get. And some days I would just ask a simple question and he would just go off on me. And so I I love that. What you said, your father-in-law said is that the person that screams the loudest is actually the one who needs the most help. And I want to ask this question. So just to make things clear, like for you, Harrison, just the physical, it it just only happened one time, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you because there are women out there who are dealing with this. And Mm -hmm. I want to know what, what, what would you say to these women? Because, you know, you've dealt with the emotional occurrences uh, a couple of times more than once. And now Mm -hmm. you've just been exposed to that has crossed over into physical. And so you've given Harrison your trust over and over and over again. So at what point, did you decide or how did you even get the strength to be like, okay, I'm going to give him one more chance, even though this one, you know, would kind of seem like the worst because it's a physical, what, what did you use and how can you encourage other women? Well, for me, it kind of goes back to what I was saying a second ago, we had been through this really three years of really, really difficult marriage where I was dealing with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and probably about three months prior to this, prior to the finding about the physical affair, we had had a really bad, you know, Mr. Hyde episode where he was just unreal. And I finally just started praying to the Lord. I was like, Lord, like I can't keep doing this. Like where is the man that I was promised? Because this isn't it. Like this is not the godly man that I married. So where did he go? And I just remember praying, Lord, whatever it takes, knock him to his knees. Like I've prayed everything else, whatever it takes, knock him to his knees, but just spare my family. Yeah. And less than three months later, I had an affair on my doorstep. And so after I had that huge, you know, obviously fleshly response to every valid fleshly response to everything that was happening, I just have felt the Lord tell me this is it. Like, this yeah. is what, this is what it took. I love are you going to stick with it? Or are you not? And yeah. I immediately said, okay, if yeah. you're promising me that what I'm getting at the end of this is what I've prayed for, then okay. Yeah. And so I remember him after we had that huge explosion, he did left, leave. He walked out the door with his phone, said, I'm going for a walk and left. Uh-huh. Uh, what I didn't know at that point is he had called her. Mm. and told her that we had found that I had found out mm. and what to do, what should he do? And I'm grateful for her to this day because she said, you don't have another choice. Go home to your family. Oh, wow. And he That's said true. her, her exact words were, well, it sounds like you have a marriage to rebuild. 
Wow. So that, I mean, that's that's a whole nother story to tell you the truth, because some people yeah. don't even get that opportunity because, yeah, they just don't get that opportunity. But I love to like just how you said that, because, you know, part of my story is 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 similar is because I, you know, I was like talking to a couple of my close friends and I was just like, man, I know that divorce is, you know, it's not good. God doesn't want divorce. And I was like, I, but I'm getting to a point in my marriage where I just don't want to be in it. And I was like, it's getting to a point to where when I was praying during my prayer time, I wouldn't even say anything because I even felt guilty just saying, God, get me out of this marriage. And one of my yeah. friends was like, well, Brie, God knows your heart anyway. So right. just speak Absolutely. your truth. Just speak your truth, you know? And yeah. I love that because people don't understand that part of my story too, because part of my story is, his uh, girlfriend at the time, we were still married and this is his girlfriend. She's been, they've been together for two years. She approached me, but she approached me the day after I prayed to God to send me a sign. And people were always like, well, she was disrespectful. She had no right to approach you as, as the other woman. And I always tell people what you don't understand. I asked God to give yeah. me something that was going to give me the strength to know if I can work this out or if right. I can leave. And that was that. And I love how you're even sharing that, too, in your story of like you were just asking God, hey, man, just like show me. And you said like within that. And, you know, it's a blessing that I'm saying that to say I feel like that that's a, that was really the the culprit for that, because even how the other woman responded is like it showed like all of that was in alignment for now you guys to be this is your purpose, like to me that's how i'm taking this is like man this going through this experience was your purpose because you you prayed about it you um got your answer and then this other woman you know just went away and so yeah well approached him calmly and quietly yeah and he said like he talks about it now he's like i was scared like i literally thought you were about to kill me like yeah. <laughs> Like, no, I just found Jesus in the middle of your walk. And, uh, and which, I, which, I mean, to, in, in, in defense of myself here, she did say, you know, you've done it this time and told me like all this plans that she was leaving. And Oh yeah. You know, anyway, so. I had told him, I said, you, you have done everything, but try to kill me over the last few years. And I have hung on, but you finally did it. I'm done. Yeah. And, um, but I, I told him, I said, okay, so I just need to know, are you going to stay? Or are you leaving? Like you uh -huh. have a choice and I'm not telling you, I'm giving you the choice. And he's like, you yeah. mean I get a choice? I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're the one that gets to choose. Do you, I'm not going to make you stay, uh -huh. but if you want to stay, you can. Yeah. And, um, and so that's what starts this restoration of you guys. And, you know, kind of speak to that. I do want to ask this question before I even go into the restoration piece, because I even heard in your story, like Harrison, where you were like for two days, she had to oh, listen yeah. to you say you were in love with this other woman. And how do yeah. you even still want to rebuild when someone tells you that they're in love with another woman? So, oh, sorry, that's yours. Yeah, well, for me, it was, um, every time I heard him say that, I just, every time he would say it, I heard the Lord say, it's not true. I mean, mm. and I don't know how you get through this type of situation without having faith. So that's my experience for someone who asked me, how do I handle this? And they don't have faith. I honestly, I don't know what to tell you because yeah. it's, I just, I don't know. 
I really don't. But my experience with the Lord there, I've often related to it has to be what Moses felt like or what, you know, Elijah felt like, where it's just like you're right there seeing the face of God, like because it was just so close. And I heard him so clearly um, through that whole instance. It's like literally I was in the palm of his hand the entire time. And so every time Harrison would say that, I just would hear the Lord say in my heart, it's not true. And so it almost just, you know, it hit me, but not, it didn't devastate me. Yeah. And, you know, and I made some really vital choices during that time frame that had I chose a diff- to handle it differently, the whole relationship would have gone differently. And so you heard Harrison talk about our friendship. And uh-huh. that was the thing that I struggled with the most was that, man, he was my apps. He was my best friend. There was nobody else in this world that I was closer to than him. Uh-huh. But it was the exact same person who had hurt me beyond belief. But somehow in my mind, I was able to separate the two. Yeah. So every time I fell apart, he was the one who had to hold me until I got it back together. And so it was also accountability for him. Like, look, you Mm -hmm. did this. Uh And so you have to hold me and you have to help get me through this because you did this. Yeah. And so I made that very vital choice. Instead of turning away from him in those moments, I turned into him. Mm. And that is where, like you talked about communication earlier, we had terrible communication prior to that. Anytime I tried to bring a problem to Harrison, he got explosive. He never brought, anytime he brought a problem to me, it was borderline abusive. And so we just communicated really, really terribly. And Mm -hmm. so that was the first time we really had started to understand how important communication was going to be in getting through this. Yeah. Yeah. And even Harrison for you, cause I heard you say earlier in the conversation, like you realize now you weren't in love with her, but at that time you really like, what made you really believe at that time you were in love with someone outside of your wife? You know, I think it was just the, that, I had given over so much, mm-hmm. you know, going back to that paper analogy, it's, you know, how do I, how do I recover that? You know, where did it go? It had to go somewhere. So if I gave that little piece to somebody, even though they had all the broken pieces, it's still me wanting those pieces back. And the only way I could have those pieces back is if I had the person. And so I think that's the the split in my brain of saying, I want this or want that, you know, I, I had the most, whole thing here for sure Um, still do to this day but I had the broken pieces over there and so I think I just I think that love separation or the the word the word love yeah you know I love her too I think it's I lost something that was a value um and I want it back and I can't get it back and so you know I think that's, is that, does that make sense how I'm saying that? Well, and I think it's also understanding it's the difference in love as a feeling and love as a decision. Mm. Talk about that. I don't think people really understand that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the hard part about our feelings, right? I mean, again, that's back in scripture, the heart lies. And so understanding that your feelings lie, they don't tell the whole story. And so do I believe that he loved her in feeling. Absolutely. She was giving Uh him a lot of validation that he was not getting from me. And Harrison will be the first person to tell you that in that stage of his life, he was a very self-centered person. And it was all about what are you giving me? Very vain. Mm. Yeah, very vain. And um, Which my personality leans there 
pretty heavily anyways, but it was, yeah. it was very much amplified. Yeah. And so she was giving him a lot of things that he wasn't getting from me anymore because I was angry. There were parts of me that were bitter and I'm like, you don't deserve my, I mean, I remember telling him if you want my, he's like, you don't respect me. And I remember looking at him and saying, well, then do something that's respectable, you know, but that's, that's not biblical either. Like uh -huh. I should respect him regardless of his actions because that's the role that the Lord has given him in our family. And that's hard to do. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, I think in feeling, yeah, he loved her because she was giving him a lot of things, but over time, eventually that feeling would have disappeared and he would have been left with love as a decision, which is what we were currently having to do. That's the choice I was having to make was, you know, yeah, I don't love you at all right now based on my feeling, but yeah. as a decision, I love you. And I know the man that you're capable of being. And, you know, that's something that I pray to this day because as humans, we all get lost in this world from time to time. We all get lost in our feelings and our emotions and, our consequences and, you know, our trauma. But mm -hmm. I ask the Lord on a regular basis when I start feeling distant from Harrison, Lord, remind me who he is in your perfection. Yeah. What I'm saying yeah. right now is not who he is. Yeah. And it's also an exercise I use with my kids when they're not behaving in the way they know that they should. It's like, look, you've mm -hmm. lost who you are. Yeah. So let's talk about who you are. You're kind, yeah. you're loving, you're compassionate, you're strong, you're all these things, you're, mm -hmm. you're obedient, you're all these things. Mm -hmm. Let's find who we are again. So I ask the Lord on a regular basis, hey, I feel like I've lost him, Lord. Remind me who he is, because yeah. what he's showing me is not who he is, but I know who he is because I know who he can be in you and you have his heart. Yeah. So, yeah. so to, to go to your uh, communication question i think and i promised you in the previous episode i'd give a tip here for something yeah. that would be great in restoration of of this marriage and that is you better be willing to understand that you're going to have the hardest if you're in if you're in this for the change if you're in this for the good you need an understanding that you're about to walk into the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life mm -hmm. or it could be the easiest thing you've ever done in your life and that is you've got to be able to you're never far gone as you think you are. You're never as far gone as you think you are. You're always one step away from res restoration. Mm. I think that's probably the best tip or the best way I could put that tip is understanding that I may walk 10,000 miles in the wrong direction. Yep. But if all I do is turn around, if all I do is turn my back to the direction that I've gone, I'm already back to restoring and I'm so close to getting that done is that turning around moment, that is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Absolutely. Because you have to lay pride. You have to lay yourself down. You have to die to flesh to be able to turn around and say, okay, I'm willing to walk away from the 10,000 miles, you know, worth of exercise that I've gone in this direction and all the, the progress or money or fame or whatever I've done that, that way to turn around and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to re, uh, respect and, and try to get this back on track. Wow. I love that. You're only one step away from restoration. And it goes into beautifully what you said, like love is a decision. And so I, I will say like, that's beautiful. And I knew we were going to get into more, but for the sake of time, um, and I want to be respectful of you all's time, but I do want you, Hannah, to say, you know, I heard you say about the three questions that you and yeah. Harrison would ask each other 
um, you know, at the beginning stages of this and kind of share those questions with people? Yeah, so that kind of falls into communication, too. And I so said we're really poor communicators. And so one thing that we came up with on our own, I don't even know where it came from, the Lord, I guess. But mm-hmm. we had three questions we asked each other in the beginning day. It was multiple times a day. Um, you know, as life goes on, maybe once a month, every six months, you know, now that we're in a healthier place. But the first thing we would ask is, what do you need? So that is going to be something that if you ask these questions, you have to meet that need, because that is something that if no other need gets, if nothing else gets done today, this is the one thing I need from you to feel Mm -hmm. safe, to feel secure, to feel loved, to feel whatever word you want to put in the blank. Yeah. So that can be a physical need. That can be emotional need. That can be a spiritual need. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, uh, what do you want? So obviously we have, there's a difference between a difference between wants and needs. Everybody's familiar. Hey, beautiful. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the show so you can stay connected with a community of women who can relate to what you're experiencing. And do me a favor, take a screenshot that you were listening to the show and tag me on Instagram at life underscore after underscore infidelity underscore. I'd love to connect with you, hear your story of infidelity, and show you some love over there. Until next time, I'm your host, Brianna Latrice, reminding you that whether you choose to leave or stay after infidelity, both decisions will be hard, and I'm here to help you navigate your heart. See you next time, beautiful. Beautiful.